Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's podcast. I'm J.W. Marshall with MarketScale and we're glad you found us today. Our guest today is Daryl Kral. He is the National Sales Manager for Panasonic, and we couldn't be more excited to have you on today. How are you doing today, Daryl? Great, JW. Glad to be here. Excellent. And to get us kicked off and to get our uh, audience a little bit of a baseline on yourself and your role at Panasonic, if you could just give us a quick uh, intro and overview, uh, that'll be a great way to start. Absolutely. So I've been uh, with Panasonic for 10 years, but I've been in the AVIT uh, industry for over 25 years. And uh, the majority of that time has actually been actively involved with education. Uh, I was an adjunct faculty member for many, many years and consider myself an advocate of lifelong learning and uh, support that philosophy uh, throughout my business career. So this this conversation is near and dear to my heart. We're doing a lot of exciting things that uh, look forward to sharing with you today and your listeners. Excellent. And let's uh, first kind of talk about before we get to the pandemic transition, uh, pre-pandemic, uh, talk to us about um, you know Panasonic and the trends towards digital learning that you guys were already seeing coming into 2020. Absolutely. So Panasonic has been in the classroom and on campus for over 40 years. And as I had mentioned, uh, education is very near and dear to not only my heart, but a lot of the team here at Panasonic. So in the classroom, um, you know, we had a lot of technologies that were taking the curriculum and content that was coming from the classroom and migrating it online to those students who either couldn't get into class or wanted to review uh, the course uh, information uh, in their in their dorm or in their home, wherever they were. Uh, so that lecture capture and, and, and taking that content and, and generating new content that supported the professor's curriculums or the school's curriculums was something Panasonic has been doing for many, many years. Because if you look at Panasonic, uh, many of many people know Panasonic as a, a consumer company, but the majority of our business uh, in 2020 is actually coming from the business and education side. So whether it's broad broadcast cameras or uh, displays, interactive displays and projectors that are used in classrooms, uh, taking all those bits and pieces together and providing a a functional classroom that not only works inside the campus, but obviously taking that content and sending it to wherever those students may be. Absolutely. And so now kind of the big question, uh, can you tell us, uh, kind of walk us through the stages of how Panasonic has address this accelerated digital transformation throughout 2020 and the pandemic and, and how you've been able to, to step up or um, change what you've been doing to meet your customer needs. Yeah, it's, it's definitely very, very interesting. Having good relationships with a lot of educational customers already pre-pandemic kind of helped us, you know, understand what many of those concerns are. We have a lot of factory representatives who come to the United States to talk to customers and listen to what their needs are. And for years, it's really been about student engagement. Um, you know, one of the things that we find with our conversations with uh, education customers is making sure that those students, that that curriculum and that content is engaging 
with students. And as we all know, uh, it, no matter what the generation is, millennials or Gen X or, or whatever, they've grown up with technology. So technology has really become an integral part of being able to communicate and collaborate and to connect with student learning. So Panasonic's been a big part of that. And obviously in March, the big rush to get online uh, so that the students wouldn't have to come on campus uh, to protect and say and have safety uh, as key. You know, we worked very, very closely, not only in, in the classroom, but making sure that those students were able to finish up that particular quarter or semester, you know, with a lot of these new tools that uh, would help them get through what we thought would be semi-short term, but as we all know, it's uh, taking a little bit longer to, to try and get through this process, and we'll talk a little bit more about what we continue to do to, to help ease some of that pain, or at least attempt to. Absolutely, and uh, maybe you could give our audience a few examples of these digital natives, these Gen X, these millennials, uh, and how they are learning differently today, as most of our uh, audience is going to be uh, older than Gen X. Um, what are some, some maybe some key takeaways or insights or things that might be surprising for them to learn about the way these uh, millennials and Gen X uh, learners learn? Yeah, I think the key is, you know, the delivery system and then what is that content in which you are de delivering. So um, as we talked about the, in March, the rush to get online so that the students and professors would be safe. Uh, now kind of have uh, a hybrid and a flex classroom that will continue to provide some new technologies. So just providing a class that's on, let's say, Zoom or Microsoft Teams or BlueJeans or whatever is ki kind of that first step. Uh, but then the professors and the instructional designers were challenged with, okay, it's not about just taking you know, your PowerPoints and presenting them on Zoom because we're all finding out that uh, that is not as effective. Uh, and then you get into other areas of the curriculum that can't really be uh, taught online. Uh, so we're working very closely with those institutions to help them not only with the technologies, but also with some professional development tools uh, that help them retool the curriculum and and the delivery of that content and information so it's something as simple as having a what we call a remote learning package where you might have a professor who prefers not to get go on campus at this point in time that they could have a simple Panasonic display uh, a camera and their computer and whether zoom or Microsoft teams or whatever they can basically teach their classes up to something that's a little bit more elaborate where you maybe have some additional audio uh, you might have a larger display and an improved camera for greater functionality. If professors like to walk around, uh, or whether they're in their home or whether they're on campus with few or no students in the classroom, we have some virtual remote packages that would enable the institution to utilize these systems and have consistency not only for the professors but for the individual classrooms because that's been kind of the challenge as well that when we rushed to get online uh, there was a myriad of different tools out there to use but there was inconsistency so for the larger medium and larger institutions where they needed to have consistency in the technology so of course we all know you know supporting IT remotely is a big challenge you might have different cameras you might have different displays you might have different audio so just trying to provide a more consistent package at multiple levels that's scalable you could start small and grow bigger into 
the application that you need. So just really being part of that whole ecosystem of getting online, improving the delivery content and the content delivery, if you will, and what that content is, and then continuing to grow uh, post-pandemic, which is where we're all you know aiming for at this point in time. Absolutely. And, and it, in our experience on the podcast, uh, the learners' uh, expectations have evolved quickly in 2020 uh, from being pretty understanding in the fall in the spring, sorry, uh, with the transition happening almost overnight or within a week or two, uh, to uh, expectations rising over the summer and now this fall, uh, maybe even uh, over-expecting of, you know, experience uh, that uh, schools and uh, universities aren't quite there yet in a lot of cases. So I love that you brought up professional development um, for instructors. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? I'm assuming it's virtual at this point. Is it on demand? Is it a combination? Uh, What would that look like? Absolutely. So we, uh, about a year ago, so pre-pandemic, uh, started working with a uh, uh, great uh, individual, Dr. Sonny Magania, and his Oxford-reviewed research on transforming, transcending cyber learning for today's classrooms and campuses. So, you know, pre uh, COVID, this was something that we knew more and more institutions were interested in helping their faculty and their professors and their instructional designers to make that transition into this online world, whether we knew that we would be 100% or 90% online at this point in time was not really part of the the, the, uh, the equation. But what we knew is that more and more institutions, whether they prefer to be, you know, 95% online, there's still, no matter what your institution level is, there's still that component of online learning that can enhance many students' experiences. So working with Dr. Sonny Magania and his T3 framework that basically applies this new modality of cyber learning, it's not just hardware specific, but the hardware can enhance the process. It really focuses on next generation digital pedagogy for instructional design and professional development. So working with Sonny Magania right now, uh, we've had a number of um, pioneer groups who have given us feedback and we're looking to roll this service out and this community out because we're basically building a community that will help current faculty members, current instructional designers, and current curriculum development folks uh, to help them teach better, not only online, but in the classroom as well. That's amazing. And as far as the T3 framework goes, um, what are kind of the basic uh, tenets of that framework? Absolutely. So the past, in the March, there was this accelerated need, as we talked about, the shifting the classes to online. But long term, it's just not about presenting the con, uh, you know, content on whatever delivery mechanism you use. It's basically uh, trying to minimize Zoom fatigue, which we all have experienced in the last couple of months. But the Panasonic's Teeth Free Framework assists with higher education's response to shifting to that online environment, but still part of that hybrid. And because we have kind of these hybrid, uh, you know, multi-purpose applications where it's not just about always going to be online. It's this this is long-term and post-pandemic as well. But basically, the framework guides universities. It helps them, uh, professors and administrators, to implement these online 
techniques that actually quadruple students' learning. So this T3 framework supports the curriculum and the instructional design by providing tools. These are Oxford research tools, uh, peer-reviewed tools, that enable them to successfully sh shift into an online hybrid or high-flex classroom design for the curriculum. This also helps the institutions deploy these new solutions for two uh, these new teaching modalities where, like you said, it's, there's going to be a little bit of in-classroom that will continue to grow because obviously that's where most in institutions want their students to be, part of that campus, part of that community, but there's still going to be, for a while, a lot of this online interactivity and so we're providing these tools to help tweak the current curriculum to have it more effective and like I said potentially quadruples the students learning experience which is really exciting. Absolutely and for this community uh, instructors instructional designers um, does your institution have to be uh, a Panasonic uh, institution or can any instructors get involved? Great question. So you could be any instructor in, you know, or institution, and that's what's revolutionary about when we started talking about this. We certainly have a lot of uh, great Panasonic institutions, and they might have multiple technologies, but this T3 framework is agnostic. So these are basically just the tools to develop your curriculum to be more adaptive and more effective in providing the students a better learning experience. So you, you don't even have to have a single piece of Panasonic product on your campus and still, <clears throat> excuse me, still take advantage of the T3 framework. So we'll be talking a lot more about how we can roll this out. We're working with a number of institutions already that are saying, yes, the, all of these tools are something I can start using tomorrow to improve and enhance the, the online uh, teaching and uh, teaching uh, experience and, and student learning experience. So it's very exciting. That's amazing. And uh, is there is there a fee for this or is it free to join? Currently, we have a pioneer group that is a no cost, uh, but we are looking to build up this community. So we're looking at some feedback from institutions to say, these are the, uh, this is the offering. Uh, this is what this community provides. And so we are looking to have some of that information here in the next uh, month or so. Perfect. Um, this seems like it is a, a silver lining of the pandemic that some of these uh, things that maybe were already happening but are being accelerated or, or maybe they're brand new are coming out of this. And on the podcast, we're always looking for the the optimism of, uh, you know, getting out of this pandemic and what the world's going to look like afterwards. And hopefully it's a better place. What are some other silver linings that, that you guys have found in 2020 or new in, uh, innovations that have emerged maybe by necessity through the pandemic? Exactly. I mean, if the, you're absolutely right. If there is anything that you could look at as a positive of this is that many schools had been, I wouldn't even say dabbling, but had been actively working to try and improve that student learning experience. What the pandemic did is add urgency to higher education's quest to enhance the classrooms and the curriculum offerings, offerings and, and, and like you said, 
grow with the new kind of generations of students coming into their institutions. So instead of just, you know, all of a sudden they're forced to provide classes online very quickly, most institutions prefer, uh, from what the data states, is an in-class and on-campus learning experience. However, there are some elements of online learning that many students have embraced. So the access to classroom lectures, the intimacy of an online lecture hall versus sitting in a 150 person auditorium sometimes gives that kind of intimacy with the professor and the student. So some of those elements of being online uh, are, you know, the, are the attributes that we're trying to enhance and work with those institutions to, to take advantage of them and try and provide that better learning experience for those students. And I would think that, you know, the other thing that was really inspiring uh, working with higher education during the, the pandemic is the tireless collaboration between institutions. And that's one of the uh, things I love about working in, in education is that they are not afraid to collaborate and communicate. So there's a number of uh, higher education and education associations that we uh, actively participate in, like CCUMC and HETMA, and HETMA is now part of the family of the higher education, uh, higheredav.com family. And what we experienced even in March, that there were online webinars and conferences and sessions, listserv groups that really rallied together everyone in education to share best practices and ideas and technical, you know, support and even moral support, quite honestly, uh, to help this community get through a very, very difficult time. So it's really that collaboration, but again, also that urgency. It's, hey, this is something we have to get through and we have to do some things very, very quickly. And, you know, a lot of institutions struggled and a lot of institutions had some great success too. So it was really great to be part of this community to help get through what is you know turning out to be a very difficult time. Absolutely. And I can say in, in all of my experience and all of our podcast guests, the ed tech community really did come together uh, in 2020 in a way that um, it has never come together before. It's always been a great industry and great collaboration uh, amongst uh, institutions and, uh, you know, companies and even with some companies partnering, but it has been amazing to see just everyone putting themselves uh, aside and just saying, what can I do to help? Um, and also really interesting to uh, have a lot of these conversations start with, how are you doing instead of, uh, you know, trying to sell or solve a problem right off the bat. Uh, so that's really important uh, for our students. Of course, their emotional well-being needs to be there before they can start the learning process, um, but also for our instructors. And uh, I think that's a really key component. So I would imagine this community has uh, served a dual purpose, not only sharing best practices, but also uh, sharing struggles, sharing, uh, you know, emotional uh, uh, challenges, and uh, just knowing that uh, these, these educators are not on their own. It's probably really valuable as well. Yes. All right. So ending on a positive note, uh, what are the future trends that uh, our listeners should be watching out for in 2021 uh, and maybe even beyond 2021? Sure. You know, that's one of the things that I also enjoy about higher education is that things never stay the same. There's always some new things, whether it's technology or, you know, pedagogy elements. But uh, one of the things that we've experienced in the last couple of years that's growing ferociously fast is the esports uh, application. So esports has been growing over the past a number of years in popularity and an interest in not only higher education, but K through 12 as well, uh, not only because of the potential revenue 
revenue increase and, and really student engagement for institutions. But to me, it seems like it also provides a great competitive advantage for institutions. You know, kind of expanding into esports programs can be a great tool to entice prospective students in higher education that may also be interested in STEM programs. So as these students interested in gaming are often drawn into the fields of engineering, design, and science. And so this is something that I think really has uh, exploded in the last year and a half and will continue to grow, you know, post-pandemic. It, it's growing during the pandemic, which is amazing. It's obviously more just uh, online kind of events and, and uh, com uh, competitions, uh, but it's also post-pandemic where you've got more of this school building, you know, kind of uh, engagement with a community of uh, like-minded people and competition is always good. So Panasonic's been utilizing a myriad of our different broadcast and visual systems solutions in this space. So whether it's a small startup club uh, to some of these larger arenas that we've participated in. It's just a very exciting uh, segment of the educational market space. And like I said, it's growing, you know, very quickly in K through 12, becoming kind of, I wouldn't say the norm, but really one of those extra values that institutions can provide to their existing and pr prospective students. So definitely be uh, interesting to see how this plays out. We're, we're actively engaged in this market. And like I had mentioned, staying in close contact with some of the esports associations, uh, the CC. UMCs of the world and the HETMAs of the world, you know, understanding where those institutions see esports as part of their overall academic uh, strategy is going to be an exciting uh, part, thing to participate in in the next couple of years. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. And, and there's been a push recently um, towards making it an NCAA uh, sport in some, uh, some ways. Yes. Which is exciting. I mean, that's, you know, that just gives greater visibility and opens up, you call it athletics. I mean, that's the the kind of conversation now. It's part, should it be part of the athletics group or, you know, is it a club sport? So just being part of this uh, embryonic uh, growth within a very much larger uh, institution vertical is uh, is exciting to watch and be part of. Absolutely. And, and even, uh, yeah, intramural uh, sports or esports are, are getting bigger. Is that something that Panasonic would help facilitate directly with uh, the university, with the, uh, the rec division of university or directly with students? That's a great question. So what we've experienced is it's pretty much all three. You have institutions who want to start, you know, intramural or club uh, esports programs, and they don't know where to start. You know, there's a number of great uh, organizations out there that will help institutions, and we work with those associations. Uh, so we talk to, you know, uh, different um, de departments within higher education. So it might be the athletics group or it might be facilities that has a space that they'd like to use, multi-purpose space, and they might want to use this uh, area for esports uh, applications or events um, every so often. So just working with facilities, working with different um individuals within higher ed and even K through 12 because I don't think there's a current cookie cutter to say you might already have an esports program where do you go next uh, you might not have an esports program how do I start so we're even in this infancy stage kind of 
looking at all those different legs on the table within academia to help either start or promote and grow those existing esports. So it's kind of exciting because there is really no playbook per se. Uh, there's a couple of you know scenarios that work well, uh, but there's new ones that are being developed all the time in regards to either starting an esports program or growing and developing an existing one. So definitely very exciting time. That's great. And even at the K-12 level, I've heard a lot of stories of esports inspiring uh, K-12 students to learn coding, to learn how to make yes. their own games and, uh, you know, kind of to see a tangible end uh, product that they love and be, you know, able to learn math because they know that's important for a reason now. Um, is that something you've experienced as well? Absolutely. You know, it's just not about gaming. I was never a huge gamer, but, you know, played enough to say, well, this was fun. And I just wouldn't say wasted an hour of my life. But today, the games are so more engaging and stimulating in regards to you can not only have the gratification of playing the game and competing with others online from around the world. But like you said, there's the technical side and the science side of building, designing uh, and, and gaming in general that was certainly not part of uh, when I was you know gaming back in the day so it's it's just much more of an engaging uh, activity that grows into you know potential financial reward uh, and as you said learning new skills especially at a younger age uh, so it's a completely new way to look at you know what gaming was just more passive many many years ago is now just much more engaging and growing to help students become better learners which is the ultimate end game here i think for all of us to, to participate in absolutely and and kind of i liken it to uh cell phones first coming out in schools banning cell phones and and now years later they're embracing BYOD bring your own device and okay we can't keep this technology out let's leverage it for good uh, kind of the same thing with gaming that was kind of a uh, outside of school waste of time you know you should be out playing and uh, now uh, the this embrace of you know what there's team building aspects of gaming now there's uh you know connections that some students that are not physically athletic can make now and be and have those experiences so uh it's really interesting to see the the positive uh coming out of uh, gaming now that schools at k-12 and, and higher ed are embracing that this is uh here to stay and let's make this a positive experience for our students and you know teach them just like with all digital technologies how to use it uh for good and healthy uh ways instead of uh, kind of uh isolating yourself in technology that's right it's you know from playing pong by yourself to now you know playing with somebody uh, across the world it just it's a completely different ball game which is really exciting Oh, and you're speaking my language. I grew up with an Atari, uh, Atari, and a Nintendo original Nintendo. So uh, I, I hate I feel... to date myself, but I, yeah, if you look back, and I'm a, I'm kind of a an AVIT archaeologist, and I just look at you know, like you said, the, the the cell phone analogy is fantastic. Um, but just you know, if students learn from whence we came, uh, it's an amazing time to be alive. So even even with pandemic, we're going to get through a lot of you know challenges, but it's a very exciting time to to be in this industry for sure. 
Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good positive note to uh, end on. So, Daryl, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you joining the podcast. Thank you, JW. It was great talking to you. Look forward to future conversations. Be safe, everyone. Absolutely. And thank you to everyone out there listening. Uh, Check out some uh, past podcast episodes and uh, remember to always keep learning.